This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the besotted Pride of West London podcast in what's been a very quiet week at Brentford. God only knows what we're going to talk about this week. Yeah, we wished. Um, start of the new season, um, an amazing comeback at, against Ipswich on Saturday, just when we thought we were out and we were going to start the, the, the campaign with a defeat. It was a, a, a rousing two goals in injury time, 90 plus two, 90 plus six. Um, uh, Andre Gray came off the bench to just show us exactly what he's capable of. Um, and then uh, we followed that up on Tuesday night with what only can be described as a bit of a debacle, I'd say. Um, I think we all turned up at the match thinking um, there were going to be a few changes. I don't think anyone thought there were going to be that many changes. Um, I must admit, when I walked into the ground, I was, ex- I was quite excited to, to know the prospect of seeing a few of the people that I'd heard about and seen much, but eight. Uh, new starters. Um, it really, we didn't, we really didn't give Oxford enough respect, and we paid a heavy price for that, um, including the uh, the injury. Um, I'm not quite sure how bad it is at the moment. It looked pretty bad um, to Andreas Bjelland, who is our record signing. Um, so I'm joined by the uh, usual rabble tonight. Um, in no particular order, I have Mr. Matt Allard. Yeah. Good evening. Um... A bit weirded out actually at the moment. Um, it's been a very strange four days. Um, there's there's been one there has been one big up, um, but it's been a bit down since then. What's so. the big up? Well, the big up. Well, I can't I can't remember. Anyone remember the big up? Oh, all right. Last minute goal. Last minute goal. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, was, that seems a long time ago now. Um, and going around the table, Mr. Martin Holland, the Dutch man. Welcome back, Mr. Holland. Thank you very much. Good evening. Good afternoon. Good morning. Depending when you're listening. Um, looking forward to. Very interesting debate this evening, lots of topics, lots of opinions to share. And to Mr Holland's right is Mark Croxford, making his second appearance on the podcast. Hello Mark. Yes, thank you very much. Hello. can't believe I came for my first appearance here a week ago and what a difference a week makes. Yeah, I mean, it was, we were all full of like pre-season, end of pre-season and hope. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the bubbles burst, but um, yeah, we've, we've, we've probably, we're properly into the season already. And Nick Carfew, Liberal Nick, um, how are you, mate? Not too bad. Still deciding whether actually I'm living a Greek tragedy or a Shakespearean farce. Um, probably a bit of both. A bit of a, bit of a carry-on film as well, mixed in there as well. Carry on up the garden turning path. Yeah, garden <laughs> centre. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Lads, um, let's, talk, let's tackle the Ipswich one first before we move on to Oxford. Um, did that comeback mask a 
a pretty average performance. I think we started off all right, but the second half really wasn't up to it. Um, Matt, what, what, did, what did you make of the fixture? Um, I, I th- as you said, we started off okay. Um, we, I think we probably made the first clear-cut good chance, um, which was the hotter header. Um, and um, that was saved, obviously. I just... it. But I don't think I ever was sitting there confidently thinking that this was a team that had settled and um, we had nothing to worry about, you know, during that game or indeed moving on from there. Um, I thought that we got compl- we, we were just so shaken by the goal, which which actually didn't particularly come against the run of play. So I don't know why it was such a shake up. And when we came out for the second half, I'd say the fifteen minutes, the first fifteen minutes, of the second half was was as bad as I've seen since. <sighs> I, I, Charlton away last year it was it was the first 15 minutes second half was terrible I just thought we completely lost the plot however what I would say and I don't want to, you know I know everyone else what I have to say is that Dijkhausen did a great job plan B um, we went three at the back sorry no we went 4-4-2 and then plan C three at the back and um, and fair play for thinking on his feet so I, you know that, that they were the positives Mark did the uncertainty and Moses leaving um, on the eve of the game, did, did, did that play a part? No, I, I, I don't think it did. Uh, Moses hadn't played in the last in the previous couple of couple of friendlies. He hadn't, he hadn't seen him for a few weeks. Um, it was fairly obvious from ten days before the start of the season that he was not likely to be around. I don't think it played a major part at all. Um, I think the, the, the interesting thing for me on... on against Ipswich was when Dijkhausen went to, to started making his changes the timing of that was quite incredible really because he was making those changes with 20 minutes to go and realistically you would have expected those sort of changes to be made in the final 10 minutes of the game to make them 20 minutes before the end of the match is incredibly brave and, and you know we can sit here now and say actually Dijkhausen's bravery earned us the point but actually if that could have backfired, if we'd lost 4-0, then I think he'd have been in for a huge amount of criticism. I, I was very, very surprised at, um, at the timing of the changes. Especially, and the first one didn't work. The 4-4-2 no, right. didn't work, so no, then we went again yeah. with another change. Well, of course, the big question is, was it all his doing? Was it he who made the changes? I mean, I put that out there as a question, because actually, you know, there was it, it, we didn't play 4-4-2 for that long before going through at the back. I mean, it was a matter of five, ten minutes. I mean, I thought I, I thought you were quite generous, Matt. I thought our whole second half performance was pretty appalling. Um, well, the whole, I, the whole, the well, whole not, together. Sure. I, I think actually we were quite lucky to get away with what I'm we sure, did. I'll ask you a question. Is the coach? I imagine he did call the shots. I, I, I think the point is though is that he he went one way and then he and then he quickly saw as we all did that wasn't working and then he went again with another with another change. And they and they were proper tactical changes. It wasn't a last minute scramble. Yeah, yeah. So you know, not, not, and, and I kind of thought we settled a bit better with, shall we say, Plan C. Um, we certainly didn't settle at Plan B. Dutchman, there was uh, a few debuts there. There were some experienced um, regulars that uh, yeah. played. How did that? How did the mixture work? I thought it was a it was an unexpected mixture. I was surprised to see the back four. Probably with the two existing centre halves was a bit of a surprise. I thought it'd be one of the new guys in there, and you know, as the rest of you have said, I, I thought the first half actually wasn't that bad for a first game of the season. Cagey affair against a decent team, 
um, the goals certainly threw it. But uh, the, there was concerns around the back. You would hope that the you know the debut people you can understand a little bit of nervousness and not used to playing with each other. But that back five is a pretty solid back five with Max stepping back into his old position, and they didn't really look like they played together. And the, the centre half pairing again for me didn't work. You know, I still think they've turned too easily over the top ball, too regular, you know, wrong size. Ah, oh, that's still some work to be done on there. The new guys, I think we said last week, you know, Hoffman looks a decent player, he looks to hold it up, but if you're playing one up front, we've got to work out exactly who he's holding it up for and who he's holding it up to. You know, it certainly looks a different game when we had two up front, so there's a little bit of work there. There were some flashes, there was some, some stuff. Yeah, I wasn't that disheartened with the first half, second half was abysmal. Late goals certainly gave us a little bit more enthusiasm for at least 72 hours. Yeah, we, uh, we, we did come away at least um, slightly buoyant. You know, if, if we had come away with, you know, a 2-0 defeat, it would, have been, it would have been a proper sort of like a party poop. Um, the, you know, the, the draw did mask some, some, still, some big concerns about the team, didn't it? Yeah, I, mean, I think Martin's picked up on most of them actually as well. But and, and just to go back earlier, I wasn't having a go at Dijkhaus and I just wonder how much of a team effort it is to produce what, what was the plan C. And, and I'm pleased to see that we did have to go through plan B and plan C because if criticism that we all sat around the table this time last or you know, during the course of our season was that we only seemed to have one plan, um, you know, plan, plan A... When it, that didn't work, we just went to plan A again. Um, it's good to see that there may be some changes coming in. It'll be interesting to see how that develops as the course of the season goes on. Mark, after the Ipswich game, we had 72 hours, as, as we just said, to the next fixture. Were you, were you looking forward to the Oxford game or wasn't, wasn't that important to you? I mean, what was your thinking going into the Oxford match and what were you hoping to see? I think it was an important game. I think having seen a not particularly good performance on the Saturday, I think we would all have liked to have, have gone along and, and seen something to um, to, to re-enthuse us a little bit after uh, on Tuesday night. But I, I, I wasn't expecting to see the majority of the players we saw on the Saturday, but I was surprised to see so many debutants start. I think that was a a gamble that I'd almost call a little bit naive. When you look at starting a team with eight new players, the only other two outfield players had something like four first-team starts between them. And when the likes of McCormack and Bidwell and Goggia came on, I thought each one, as they came on, we got a little bit more like a team. And I think if just two or three of those would have started with the other young players, then we might have seen a very different type of performance. You go back to the, the team that played at Derby a couple of years ago when Rosler played a very, very young team, a very inexperienced team and got criticised for it. But in fairness, he had people like Diagaraga and Saunders and O'Connor in amongst all the youngsters. And I think if we'd seen the likes of McCormack and Bidwell and maybe well, one, one other, maybe Goggier, but if they'd started the game, I think we might have seen a very different type of performance. So that, that was a real surprise to me to see the starting lineup. Martin, um, there was two two things that weren't actually much of a surprise. You know, Dijkhausen did say immediately after the Ipswich game that he was gonna it was gonna be a different team. So that that was that was a that was a that was a kind of like uh, um, wasn't a surprise. And the other thing was Oxford um, said that they were going to come and take the game seriously. So the combination of all of that being out in the open, surely surely that is a shortcoming of Dijkhausen. He 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 did underestimate his game surely. 
100%. I think he got it absolutely wrong. Uh, I think he's almost admitted as much in the press from the quotes that I've seen. Um, but, you know, it's an inexcusable mistake and just a silly mistake. I mean, we can all have our views on whether the Cup's important to us or not. You know, personally, I think it is. You know, I, I don't see why we wouldn't want a League Cup run. But um, that, that being said, it's an opportunity to, to, to blend the squad and to play some new players and see see what they're like. But I just don't see what you gain by playing 11 players who haven't played together because all your proof is that's not good enough to be your first team. But we kind of know that anyway. You know, for Mark's mention, the, the Derby game, which I was unfortunate enough to be at. You know, you've got Josh Clark's now done that twice. I mean, this is this is a kid with high hopes and prospects and <laughs> he picked for two games where he hasn't yet played amongst all the grown-ups. You know, and he's been on a beating both times. It can't have done those kids' confidence any good. He hasn't done them any favours. You know, come on to elements of the crowd and perhaps their reaction to some of it but it was a very very disappointing night and people pay their money and they, they, they have their opinions tonight. yeah it, it wasn't just the fans who had strong words to say afterwards there has been you know Dykehausen himself he said there was it was unacceptable and um, Alan McCormack's been very outspoken about what happened and he, he questioned um, some of the performances by people who were knocking on the door of the first team he said you know it, it, that's not <laughs> they're not going to be playing a part in, in, in first-team football anytime soon, if, if basically, I'm paraphrasing him, if, that, if that's the standard. So it's, it's not, it's not one-way moaning traffic from the fans. It is, it is a, it's a, it's a 360-degree unhappiness, which I guess, you know, if we, if we learn from this, but, but are we going to learn from this? I think there's two things, well, there's all sorts of things here. Um, Dyke hasn't said before the game that in... in um, in Holland, um, they play four games in the first month, so clearly he thought this was a bit weird anyway. Um, I don't think they have a second cup in most countries. Um, I, I, the, 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 even just even something about how do, you, how do you get players from the development squad into the first team when there's no other setup, um, to, no other league them to play in apart from against other development squads, that's another problem, and that's probably a generic problem across um, football um, and actually some of the solutions aren't particularly palatable because I don't think anyone here wants B teams in the leagues and stuff but, but but you know so, so there's all sorts of things I, I wonder with the Carling Cup whether it just needs a rethink um, this Tuesday night after the first games on Saturday seems to be the one that causes all the trouble for all the championship teams um, because they don't have strong strong enough second tier 11s to put out there and they and they put kids out there. I think it, I think for the Premier League it's a little bit different. Probably the second eleven is stronger than you know is, is relatively much stronger than a lot of the Championship second eleven teams. Um, I, I I I think maybe the I've called it the Carling Cup. I don't even know what it's called now, but you know what I'm talking it's about. It's not the Milk Cup still, is it? Uh, yeah, we're not. Should we call it the League Cup. The League Cup. The League Cup. The old. But it needs it. It possibly needs a rethink. I I was thinking even last night start it. As the pre-season for the first couple of, you know, the two Saturdays before like the, the season starts. The full members' cup used to be there, didn't it? it used to be pre-season. I remember going to Wimbledon for some some other awful games back at Plough Lane. Nick, it, it, but it wasn't just the development or the or the fringe, you know, or the, the second tier fringe players. Some of the some of our signings, some of our, um, our summer signings didn't shine either. No, uh, nobody nobody shone last night. Um, Including, I mean, including Alan McCormack and including Bidwell, really, as well. I mean, you know, both, I, you know. But I, was looking, I was looking for more from, from Bielen and, 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 and Vibe vibe. Yeah. Did they prove anything? No, no, but I don't think any, and I think really um, the, 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 big, uh, the, the big question is how happy were they playing on that pitch? 
We'll come back to that, I'm sure. I think Vibe was playing completely out of position. Um, he's not a right winger. I think O'Connell, uh, this idea now that centre-backs can play left-back or right-back, football's moved on. You need quick, pacey players playing at left and right-back. Connell's not a left-back. Um, but so those two are out of position, in my opinion. Yeah. And they and they were the players that kind of were the were the more experienced the one players thing, that were out there. The one thing that did surprise me about Bellend was how one footed he was. Um, I thought, you know, he's very one footed at the moment. Well, um, we'll we'll come on to that as well, no doubt. But but I did feel that um, I thought we'd been sold on the basis that a lot of these players, continental players particularly, I'd understood would you know were able to use both feet. But in this case, um, quite clearly not, because I think when you looked at some of the clearances that he made, I mean, he was definitely at fault for one for one of the goals. Um, uh, then it, uh, he was as culpable for one of the goals as Bonham was for one of the others. I, I think this actually does lead on to the pitch. You know, of course, of course, the, you know, I, I wanted to separate the pitch from the game because I didn't want to use the pitch as a, a completely excuse no, for, for losing. I think there were there were, there were big, you know I think that's hugely disrespectful to Oxford who came and fully deserved their win on the night. So you know, congratulations to them. I thought their fans came. I thought they made a really good atmosphere. They took it seriously. They packed pretty well. Packed, but it was it was a fairly fairly full away end, um, and they looked very happy afterwards. So you know there is a reason to take this this, this competition seriously, and you know what's going to happen. They'll go and get a, a big big draw in the, the second or the third round, and they, they fully deserve it. So um, let's not stick our head in the sand for any longer, and let's talk about that dog of a pitch. <laughs> Pitchgate, I think we call it, um, and this what can only be described as an embarrassing playing surface. Um, in all my years as a Brentford fan, I have never seen a pitch in such poor condition. Um, I've never heard or I can remember fixtures being moved or cancelled because of it. Um, I've never, I just never experienced. I can't even remember it happening in other clubs. To be honest, I know. I know um, we've had awful, awful um, services to play on. I know Blackpool last season had um, another dog of a pitch, but it was just, I think, you know, it was just bald. <laughs> I don't think there was just any grass. I think it was just like mud and sand. I don't, I don't think it's, it's a similar situation where um, the playing surface is unstable. Um, so the, 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 the Birmingham City game has been moved to uh, September the 29th. Um, there's, a, there's a Reading game in between uh, now and then as well, so whether that's affected, I think only time will tell. Um, but surely, I'll, I'll start with you, Mark, on this one. Surely the problems of the pitch were apparent before the season started, um, but you've only got to look out into your garden if you've reseeded, and you know whether it's equipped, you know whether it's good enough to have your garden party. Um, you, could, you know if it isn't, you decide to get it turfed if, if the seed's not taken. This is a professional football club. The it was a professional uh, company that uh, re, re, redid the work, um, and there's there's football professionals that work at the football club and have offices there that I'm sure go and have their sandwiches, their cheese and pickle sandwiches, um, overlooking the pitch every day. Should this have been identified quicker and um, who do you blame for this? Well, it should certainly have been identified quicker. I think anyone who was at the, the, the friendly game against Stoke would have identified that the pitch just wasn't ready to be played on. There were huge chunks of turf coming 
coming up at the at the Stoke game every time someone kicked the ball. I was sitting in Braemar Road in front of me, a, a huge chunk of turf, probably about 18 inches, 18 inches by about 10 inches, came hurtling out the pitch and they filled it up with sand. Come along to the Ipswich game on Saturday, two weeks later, and it's still in the same condition. The, the, the hole is still filled with sand. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's just an, an incredibly embarrassing position to, to be in. I, I, I don't understand how people at the club cannot have seen that the, it obviously wasn't ready for the Stoke game. Two weeks later, we see it against Ipswich, it's in exactly the same condition. I just don't understand how that can be allowed to happen. Nick, without without sort of um, slagging off the, the two teams I'm about to mention, but Boreham Wood have um, a superior playing surface to us. Ashford Town have a superior playing surface. Hampton have got a superior playing surface to us. How has a football club in the Championship been allowed to have this at, at the start of the season, where so much money has been been spent on players? Um, just, just how how can it happen? And I, I, you know, well, I mean, we've discussed before the difference in between the off-field operation and the on-field operation, and I think this is another example of where actually, possibly, we we are um, Division Two when it comes to our uh, off-field operation, but we're Championship when it comes to our on-field playing um, operation. I think there is got to be questions raised about the contractors who did it. I hope they've got good insurance because it's going to cost them a lot of money to put back uh, to, to to rectify what they've uh, done or to to replace what they've done. Never mind, never mind rectifying. Um, and I actually think that there's a lot to be said for the theory that last uh, against Oxford, we played a team that we were happy to see play on that pitch. Uh, I think there were people on the club in the club who may not have been happy to necessarily have played on that pitch a whole ninety minutes, you know, even ten minutes. And I think there needs to be questions asked about whether that game that we played last night against Oxford should be moved. So, so you're saying that there's a seed of doubt had been had been sown. Uh, <coughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All those all yeah. those puns. Yeah, um, sod but, that, but, sod that but it's definitely a, it's definitely a growing theory. Is that the game? You know, is that the game last night was um, played on a pitch? Although the problem, the problem I have with that theory, and it's one I advanced myself, but that Oxford seemed to cope with it well. Is that because actually we're used to better playing conditions, and Oxford are used to worse playing conditions? But actually, nowadays in the forward leagues, aren't pretty pitch conditions pretty much all the same? I mean, I think you're right. So I I don't know where we're going from it. I think there's a level playing field pretty much everywhere. I also think that I can't believe that players aren't talking about the pitch. The Oxford players haven't played in it; they haven't seen it, so they've got no reason to talk about it. So they, so they, I'm just, you know, I'm offering they come into it with a completely different frame of mind, um, you know, in, in in that respect. One of the things that occurs to me as well is that we're all looking at um, our new manager, Dykhaus, and we're saying, you know, he hasn't got a lot of experience. He might be a bit naive. And he must be looking at the club at the moment thinking, there's not a lot of experience being shown here. Might, might be a bit naive with the pitch. The, um, and, and I think it's quite interesting how the tables may have turned there in some respects. Because, I, you know, we, well, as I say it, yeah. But, I mean, let's, let's go back to basics before, before Nick comes in again. I know you want to make on the point. But the, this, is, this is a basic requirement of a professional football club in the Championship is to have a football pitch that's up to standards. Let's go back to the pre-season. We're on the, we're on the verge of the season. Two weeks to go. You've got the contractors must have walked around it. 
the, the, the people that uh, uh, who'd, who'd given them the contract must have walked around with it, with with them, and looked at it and gone, "This is shit." It's but, it's a shocking state of affairs. There's no there's no other word for it. I mean, people must, as we've all said, have known that was happening, and so now move again. It's just complete admission of, of that failure, and. Whether the reason for that is you know, we want a nicer pitch to play football, or it's actually now it's dangerous, becomes a very you know, thorny issue to address. You know, is it dangerous? Is it dangerous? Is that why next week's cancelled? Was it dangerous last night? If it was dangerous last night, and certain players, as has been suggested, didn't want to play on it, then you know, what about the implications for those that did? You know, I don't really understand that. I don't understand why, if as was apparent to everybody during the game, the pitch was, was getting dangerous. You then bring on your first team as towards the end when the game was lost at 4-0 when you then risk McCormack, Gogia, and all the rest of them to me just, you know, it just makes no sense at all. So Nick, Nick, this, I mean, so it's about, it's about how you manage this. You know, this, so, you know, if you're going to move fixtures, it's about making decisions at the right time. Like any, any management of, of, of any business or any, any company, you, have, you, you earn your money for making good decisions. If you're going to move any fixtures and there was worries about the pitch, surely the fixtures to move was the Stoke game and that would have allowed the pitch to give another another week if there, if there was any doubts here at all. And um, the Ipswich game, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've got, if, there, if there's any worries at all, I know it's not ideal, but if it's not ready for nine months season at the beginning, you have to give it the time to, to, to bed down. It's a, it's a critical season for us. I think that's a good point. Um, my mind is casting back to last season, and I think I'm thinking that Bristol City got permission to play their first two, possibly three games away from home because of the rebuilding work that's going on at Ashton Gate. If it wasn't Bristol City, I apologise, but I'm pretty... Uh, I can't remember, but, but certainly, certainly Bristol City did that. And, and, and you know, so before the Stoke game, there should have been people on, on the phone to the Football League saying, look, you know, we've made a foul up here, our pitch isn't right, we've had all these problems, blah, 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 come down and inspect it if you like, can we please move or rearrange our first two, three home fixtures for that to accommodate. The other second point I want to make is that um, anybody notice how Yotta on at the end of the game on on Saturday walked off pretty unhappy and was having a big row with Simon Royce having to calm him down. Um, some people were speculating it could have been about all sorts of things. I think it was Yotta saying again, you expect me to play on this pitch? Well, we, we don't know. Um, Mark, I mean, the, the, the scheduling... Um, is obviously got to come into this. Uh, um, you know, we were at the end in the last season. We saw the the youth team play Charlton. There was there was a valuable week there lost. Yeah, there was, and and I think it's also interesting that um, there was a lot of work done during the summer at the at the training ground as well. And I know it wasn't the same issue in terms of, of, of installing drainage, but pitch I believe was dug up at the training ground as well. And and we had the club saying. The pitch at the training ground isn't going to be available until September. It seems odd that, that having made that acknowledgement that the training ground pitch was going to take that long to, to get back to its best, that we were prepared to play games on the, on the Griffin Park pitch at, at the end of July. At least we've got consistency throughout the club. As far as I know, and there'll be more people better qualified than, than I, but having t- talked with this with some horticultural experts, it doesn't actually take that long for the pitch to bind 
Um, you know, so it's it, it's a question of the work was done badly in the first place. It's not it's not necessarily a length of time, so we shouldn't worry too much about that. It's that actually the people who did the job in the first place who allegedly al allegedly did a poor job. Well, no, I'm sorry, no, not allegedly in this case. They definitely did a poor job because it's resulted in at least one home fixture having to be moved. So so you know, I'm not worried about the lawyers coming after me on that. One. The Dutchman. Right, picture yourself. You are a multi, multi-millionaire. You own Brentford Football Club. How would you tackle what's going on now? Oh, cheers for that one, Dave. Um, well, the first thing to do is you've got to take positive action to deal with it. And yeah, in a way, that's what they've done by moving the Birmingham game. So as embarrassing as that is, and as you know, unfortunate as it is, that's the right thing to do. What you can't do is drag a situation out just because it's... You know, cause you embarrassment and pain and all the rest of it. So that's that's the right decision, and you have to get the pitch fixed. That's the right decision. After that, you look at why it's happened. You review the whole process. You know, you look at who did the job. You look at how they're appointed. You know, you look at the the contract that you got in place with them, and you make sure that they've fulfilled that contract and fulfilled you know all the things in the original spec. And if they haven't, you look at the remedial clauses in there and see what compensation you have. Um, you know, I'm not an expert either on on, on the gardening bit. And for, all those people listening who don't live in the area anymore, if you sort of think of Gunnersby Park and Blondin Park and Boston Manor Park and all those, it was like all three of those rolled into one. So, you know, I have some experience of shite pitches over the years <laughs> as a much uh, less talented player than Yotta. But I think, you know, we've addressed the issue, which is fine now. It's the investigation into what's happened. Have you ever, have you ever dealt in grass? I think, um, I think... I think what's quite interesting actually is that is that what was you know what is the tipping point here because we, we, we heard the pitch was going to be relayed potentially after the Reading game um, possibly um, but what was the tipping point yesterday that means that we now have to do something about it and what was different to how bad it was against Ipswich and how bad it was against Stoke because there's obviously a tipping point. I've, are you are you are you thinking that players might have said look you know this I, is a danger. I, I don't know, but, but something has made this decision that we've got to do it, and it's been made, and it's made, it's been made, and I'm not going to criticise them for making that decision very quickly, it's been made very quickly, so something out of the ordinary. Nick, can I ask you this, has the club been, bought into, been brought into disrepute over this? Oh, again, another big question. I'm not certain it's been brought into disrepute, it's been made to, it's been made to look embarrassed, um, and it's not that professional for a championship, high-flying championship club to have to relay it. Has it been brought into disrepute? I mean, there'll be lots of people on social media saying we should give away the three points, you know. Uh, I do think that there is a grounds for Birmingham City fans who have already or had already bought their tickets uh, for travelling to the game before the announcement was made to, to have their money refunded by Brentford. We would be livid, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we would be demanding, you know, our opponents did that. Um, and I think that would be a good PR gesture from Brentford Football Club to do that. Um, it to is those Birmingham, fans. Nick, to be fair, it is <laughs> Yeah, but no, 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 I'm sorry. I mean, yes, it is Birmingham. Well, they, but, back in the day, they were, chuck, they were chucking money at us. To give, to, to give, give money back would be a bit of an ironic yeah, twist, yeah. but there you go. No, that was, that was a long time ago, and I'm sure... It's all, all forgotten, all forgotten. It's all water under the bridge. I mean, we, we're, we're expecting a lot of cooperation from other clubs, aren't we, to, to make this work. I guess, you know, this is where the, the football village comes together. 
Well, yeah, that's right. And I think also that, you know, the Birmingham decision's been made on the Birmingham game, but as has been alluded to earlier, the Reading game is only a few days after that. And I think that's got to be in some sort of doubt. And, and presumably discussions are taking place now between, um, between those clubs with regard to that date. So, I mean, we can go round and round in circles looking for blame. I'm, I'm sure this is going to be dealt with properly and thoroughly behind the scenes. So, um, I think I think you know it's this kind of like I watch this space. This certainly the the, 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 the you know the, the, the drama is only starting really. Isn't it? But but when it's dealt with, while it's being dealt with properly behind the scenes, I hope the club is open and honest and shares the information with the fans. Why do we get to this situation? What we have done to rectify it, we being, being the club of, and and the steps that will be taken to prevent this happening in future, um, and any you know actions that might be might as have resulted in this embarrassment, which is what it is for the club, are fully explained because I think you know we owe it to not only ourselves as as fans, but owe it to the Birmingham City fans, and possibly we owe it to the Reading fans too. <laughs> Andre Gray, my lord, my lord. Yeah, um, another on-off, on-off, off-on transfer. It would seem um, looked like he was signed, sealed, delivered to go to Hull with um, Moses, or shortly after Moses. Um, a few shenanigans, so we're led to believe um, it didn't happen. Um, it was judged that he wasn't fit or wasn't uh, um, his mind wasn't in the right place to, to play against Ipswich but you know as I said earlier he, he came off the bench and showed you what a blooming handful he is he scored a great goal which sparked the revival um, from what we hear Hull are sniffing around they've gone AWOL a little bit um, we've heard today that they've decreased the offer which is a new way of uh, negotiating when you've been told no three times um, you reduce it um, instead of increasing it so maybe they think we're desperate but it would appear that we're holding out for a certain price which it seems like it's 7 million plus 2 million um, um, and then there's also rumours of Burnley coming in um, and and or another club but um, obviously they haven't matched the price so he's a Brentford player um, and I'm fully expecting him to lead the line um, on Saturday at Ashton Gate um, Be cool Be cool Whole city, they're screwing us around a bit, aren't they? Mrs. Doubtfire is a disgrace to football. Um, he he and his owner, who wants to change the name of his club to Hull Tigers rather than Hull City, um, so you can show, show how much understanding he has of the tradition of football, needs to get in and say, right, we are prepared to give you nine million pounds for Andre Gray or seven million pounds plus. Plus two two million, take it or leave it, um, and hope and hopefully Brentford will say we're not going to take it because I think Gray should stay because we haven't got any alternative as a forward. But the way that they are mucking us around, the way that they are actually um, disrupting the team effort, I think actually Brentford fans should take as a compliment because obviously Hull City see Brentford as a threat and they're trying to take away our best striker. They've already taken away Moses. Good luck to him. He's got lots of lots of extra money coming into him, no doubt, from moving to Hull. Hull who are being paid, who are able to pay these high wages because of the crazy system of the premiership um, play, uh, premiership payoffs and you know, what you get for relegating. So, so, you know, Hull City, stump up the cash. If you want, if you want um, Andre Gray, 
seven million pounds in used fibres on our desk on Friday morning, or else just go away. You got a bloody big desk. To, that's, I don't know what kind I'll, of desk you need to, to, to take that kind of luggage. I'll, I'll take seven million in, in fifties. But with you. Bruce, I would definitely hold each one to the light. Yeah, um, Mark. Um, the best way to uh, to prove how good you are is to score goals, and he, he did that. He came off the bench, and Ipswich, he scared the living daylights out of Ipswich. Um, it would appear that the player's agent wants to go, and it obviously appears that uh, uh, that Andre's head is isn't completely focused on on, on staying at Brentford. Um, would you, do you think he should start, and do you think he he, he should? You know, just try it and score as many goals while he's at Brentford. You know, if the transfer window is is still there for a couple more weeks, three more weeks, you know, he's, he 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 could play his way to a great move. Yeah, I think it's it's a real shame because it, it this almost runs the risk of, of turning into the the Adam Forshaw saga of, of last season, which is is really sad if that if that happens. But in fairness to Gray, he's 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 conducted himself. Publicly, he's himself very well. There's been no, he's made no, no comment, and I think that's that's all credit to him. But it's just so difficult when you have a, a, a club like Hull, who it was difficult last year when you had the Wigan chairman coming out and blabbing to the press. It makes it very difficult when you've got the whole the whole people doing the the same. But I think from Gray's point of view, okay, he missed last Saturday's game. Maybe his his, his mind wasn't quite right for that one, but. The season's up and running now. I think, from Gray's point of view, I think he needs to be playing. I want to see him start on Saturday, and I want to see him continue to play until a decision's made. But you can't let you can't let another team, holding this case, dictate the way we do things. I think Gray needs to be selected and, and um, just continue to play until this this matter's resolved. Mine. It's just two sides to this, as there always is. Um, you know, we've, we've, you've got you've got fans that are a bit, you know, seems to be quite philosophical and, uh, and understanding that you know we've bought him for not a lot of money, and um, you know the player seems to want to go, and you know a, a king's ransom has been tabled in, in, in relative terms of what we've been used to for players. Um, but there, there are some fans who, you know, understandably, you know, you've, I've got you've got to sort of you know um, respect other people's wishes to think the club should try and do more to, to keep hold of him. Is, is there any more Brentford can do to, to keep Andre at, at Griffin Park? Is, you know, do we do we try and offer him a, a big promotion? But is, is, there, is there a way of restructuring this that can make him stay? I, I'm not privy to the details of what he's earning and what the differential is. You know, we hear the numbers banded around for Moses, and you can only assume they're similar for. For, for Andre, but I don't know whether we've put any more money his way, made any counter offers. I'm not sure. I mean, there, you know, there is an end date to this. It's, it's the transfer window deadline. It's the you know the first of September, whatever the date is. So you know, it will be resolved by then, or you know, or, or not by then. Um, you can see both sides of those arguments. It's we we are as are all clubs, other than the top one or two, you know, susceptible to people taking our best players. And you know, the best you can hope for is a decent price. And even those people who want him to stay, and I'm clearly one of those. Has to concede that seven million pound plus two million for, you know, a half a million pound purchase twelve months ago is good business. Does that mean I want him to to go? Not at all. He came on Saturday, transformed the game, and remind us of when he's in the mood can be you know virtually unplayable. I have to agree with what Mark said. I think the main difference for me is you know, how he's conducted himself throughout this. You know, there, there is a respect there, and I think that's to be commended. Um, yeah, probably similar to, to you know, 
and, and a different player with the Johnny Douglas reception. You, know, you can see the fans can very easily distinguish between people who've left for the right reasons and behaved the right way with ones who've walked out for more money. I was quite pleased with the Douglas reception, really, as a one-off. That's it. You know, they had enough of him now, but he got what he deserved as a thank you, and that's a good move on. Um, people can behave in the right way. If he gets his deal, good luck to the guy. I'd like to see him stay. We, we have got alternatives. I disagree slightly with, with Nick on that one. I mean, we've got more alternatives than we had last year. Uh, yet to see quite how how effective they will be. We've obviously put in a bid for another lad as well that, that looks exciting. And if he goes, there'll clearly be some money to perhaps get another one in there. So yeah, there are alternative options. The doomsayers don't need to go quite so mad. But has his head been turned? Clearly, is it rescuable? I don't know the numbers. No idea. Matt, you know, I guess the, one of the heartening things is we're not desperate to sell. He would have gone by now. Yeah, I think if we needed the money desperately, um, and I'm sort of thinking towards um, FFP here, which must come into play in some respects, whether that's to do with we would need to get that amount of money in or whether that impacts on us being able to offer him more money. Um, I, I'm sure that comes into this in some way or form. But we don't seem to be desperate to sell. We're going to hang on to him. I, To be honest, it seems like a lot of money, doesn't it? But then I think of his... You know, what is Andre Gray about? It's that pace and the strength he's got. And I don't see it obviously out there. Even when you look at teams like um, sorry, Ipswich, um, Derby, etc., with their centre forwards, I don't see that in their teams. Um, he is quite a unique player. Um, and that's why, you know, he's valued at that amount of money. Yeah. We, could, we certainly could replace him <clears throat> in terms of, I'm sure we could bring in somebody effective for half that amount of money or a third that amount of money but I'm not sure he'll have, they'll have those two attributes and they're the two attributes that cause chaos in this league I think, I think among centre-backs I think it's spot on it's the, it's the like-for-like replacement yeah. that we're going to struggle with we, we, can, find, struggle. we can find a replacement yeah. who's got, scored lots of goals yeah. somewhere else but yeah. are they going to do what he does yeah. are they going to bring to Brentford what, what he does uh, that's 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 a really difficult could ask. you imagine Andre Gray playing against our two centre-backs on Saturday with balls over the top yeah, well, it, it it scares me. I'll have to change my pants. I think before I, I considered that. Um, so come on, Mr. Bruce, stump up the money. Stump up, stump up the money. Stump up the money. Don't get on with it. Play yeah. up or fuck off. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll get a. I'll, we'll get a different rating now on iTunes, but that's 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 what I meant. So that's that's what I meant. Um, the. Does, you know, there are rumours about other players too. You know, this Fulham Tarky thing still still rumbling on. Um, uh, whether that's going to you know it's going to lead anywhere, I don't well, know. I thought you, I thought Roberto Martinez on Monday Night Football on Sky made a very good point. Is that he argued that the transfer window actually should end when the when the season starts, and that unless you have and and then you can start the loan period and you can do it again over Christmas because you've advocated Christmas break. I I was never in favour of a transfer window. Now that we're actually in, at the end of the championship and our players are being bid for a lot of the time, I think actually the transfer window needs to be tightened. And I think Martinez was on to something. You know, all good, start the season. That's it, transfer window shuts. It doesn't open again until, say, Christmas when you can do a bit of shopping in the January sales and then and then it go closes again for the season. I'd, incidentally, I'd also do the same for managers as well, but that's a separate discussion. It probably depends whether you're a selling club or a buying club, doesn't it, really? Is that um, the last of it? Can you see Can you see anyone else? You know, some, sometimes there's an off-the-radar um, bid that comes in from someone where it's unexpected. I think maybe one of the... 
the, the hidden benefits of the disaster of Tuesday night is that perhaps you know, the realisation that the second string isn't quite as strong as people may have thought. You know, so there might be some bids there that maybe would have turned, you know, t turned our heads in some ways. And the answer is now perhaps we haven't quite got the cover we thought, or it's not ready yet. It's a bit harsh to judge everyone in one game, but you know, certainly not ready and not up to the standard we're expecting straight away. I, so yeah. it's not quite as easy as perhaps thought to say we've got this one lined up to, to step in because you know, it was a harsh reality check that some of those players aren't quite ready yet. Some will be, I'm sure, in due course, and some probably won't be. Which kind of brings us on to some of the comments that were made on Tuesday. Um, and um, uh, and Harley Dean brought, brought they, 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 he challenged a few people on, on social media about, about what was said. And, um, you know, I, I think we, we, need, we do need to mention that um, Harley Dean's comments about Mark Warburton were brought up in, well, they were reported on one of the biggest, well, the, probably the biggest national newspaper in Scotland today, um, criticising Mark Warburton for um, his uh, lack of preparation last season and, so the quote said, um, costing us promotion to the Premier League. You know, Harley said that's out of context, and you know, I guess you know, I'll be loyal to him and, and believe him. He was taken out of context. You really got to be careful what, what you say when the newspaper reporter dangles a microphone in front of you, in front of your face. Um, Martin, you know, what what do you make of of, of that? Is that you know, is it mounting out of a molehill? Well, I think the whole social media thing—it's it's a new thing, and certainly for the, the younger players and the fans, it's a way of the world that perhaps some of us older ones. Uh, you know, whilst we're getting accustomed to it, it's not quite what we base our days around like some do. And you know, to see players tweeting during the match last night you know, about the match and about fans. Not the ones that I think for one of those goals, at least one of the players may have been tweeting, but that's just a, you know, that's another theory. Um, but Never I, catch you know, the sausage tweeting during the game, do you? No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not accurately. But there's, yeah, there's got to be some guidelines in, in what people say. I mean, players tweeting during the match doesn't make sense to me. Players tweeting after the game sometimes what they say. It's, uh, you know, it's a changing world in terms of social media, and we're all adjusting and doing it. But you know, if you live by the sword, you die by it. Players are coming on there posting comments, and they're getting them back by return, and that's kind of the way it works. You either step away from it or you embrace it. If players are going to come on and criticise fans, fans are going to come on and criticise players, and that's the way it is, I think. And you know, certainly certain individuals, and Harley seems to be a prominent one, if they are being misquoted, need to have a serious think about what it is they're saying and why they're saying it. My only defence, my only defence of Harley is the Daily Record is the equivalent of the Sun, so actually he possibly could have been misquoted on this. But I do have to say I agree with you. The thing about social media is you've got to treat it with care, and and actually any company and that is what a football club is, will have a set of policy for its employees if they are tweeting or doing on Facebooking or Instagramming um, comments about their company's policy and, and, and their company's customers and what, what have you. And I suggest again to Brentford is that possibly you might want to look at that introducing a social media policy. Not to censor, not to stifle, not to stop the debate, but actually just so that people realise, you know, the sensible way to go about doing it and how to react to criticism, which you will undoubtedly get. Now, I mean, Harley Dean and James Karkowski are perfectly big enough to, to deal with the criticism, but what worries me is that when you get the boo boys that we saw out on the terraces last night, they there will be some of the younger players who performed against Oxford who got booed off the pitch, they got booed at half-time, there was some chanting about it, that makes a real impact on your careers. And to those people who did it, I would just like to say, anybody who comes into your workplace, if you make them, or school or college, 
if you make a mistake there and have people booing you and chanting your name and saying what a load of rubbish you are, what effect would that have on you and your future? Tuesday night wasn't, wasn't pretty. Um, there was some booing um, at the end of the first half and, and, a, and a bit at the end, you know, and there was some chanting going on and poor old poor old Bonham got, got you know, he, it, was a, it was a night to forget for him. Um, just really playing devil's advocate, gallows humour or actual dangerous abuse? Um, I, there's, there's, obviously, there's two ways of looking at this because everyone is always entitled to their own point of view and they can, you know, and, and I believe, you know, you, you're entitled to come up with your own opinion and, and do what you want to do within reason. Um, so I, I find it hard, you know, I don't want to say people shouldn't be, shouldn't be booing because we're not allowed to boo. But my personal, my personal opinion on this is that actually we're all in this together in some respects. And I'm talking about we all want the players to win. I don't think players go out there um, to lose. Um, so I, I, personally, I don't boo players. Uh, I also appreciate the fact that they don't pick themselves. They're picked by a manager. And in a lot of situations, they're played in a role by that manager that they, they may not be familiar with. Or they may be playing on a pitch they're not that they're, they're struggling with. So I, I, I just struggle with the booing myself. Um, but at the same point, you know, I'm. Can I say you're not allowed to boo? That that just sounds ridiculous. But I don't see what you get out of it. Mark, is it taboo to boo? Um, it's. I find it embarrassing when I'm at the at the, the ground and um, people start booing and the, and the the abuse that or the jeering that that, that that Bonham got. I think was was unacceptable and and, uh, and it makes me feel as a supporter of the club. It makes me feel embarrassed. I cringe sitting there when I when I hear it. Um, but it's it, it's the way of the world, and, and you know we, we, we talked about tweeting a, a, a few minutes ago. But the problem with tweeting is that when I'm sitting watching the game, my emotions are very different at times during the game than they are now. If you'd asked me how I felt about things at, 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 at eight fifteen on, on last night, it, they would be very different to the way I feel now. The difference is that perhaps I'm of an age where I I don't necessarily do anything about it at the time. Some people will instantly pick up their phones and tweet the way they're feeling. That's the that's the difference. Perhaps people don't always give themselves time to reflect, but but that's the way the world is. Yeah, it is, it is the way the world is. You know, I think we've all fallen foul of Twitter and and um, you know saying what we, we what we shouldn't have said in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, any you know besotted. Obviously, you know we we we're not holier than now. Um, but I think you know. Ultimately, you've got to, you've got to remember you're actually publishing. You know, you, there's no point in in saying something if you know you don't want someone else to read it. And if you want, if you, if someone else is going to read it and take offence by it, you, you should. If that's not the intended outcome, you shouldn't you shouldn't be doing it. It's, it's literally you got to think of the equation: one plus one equals. You know, if you, you're doing you know everything for a reason, you, you you just can't be putting stuff out that's not thought through. And especially if you're a pro footballer. Um, where you've got newspapers and all kinds of people just studying your Twitter feeds, just looking for any reason to just to just for a story, really, hasn't it? You haven't even got to be a famous footballer to to, to have a twist. And I think I think you know, in Harley's defence, um, you know, if you mention something that impacts Glasgow Rangers, you've got you've got one side or the other, the sectarian divide up there is going to take it one way or the other. So if I if I was anyone 
just don't mention it because you know we don't live up there we just don't know how it affects their day-to-day existence up there so just don't just don't comment on it so you know it's not the last time we're going to do this we we can't uninvent social media um you can't uninvent people having the right right to reply and the right to right to comment on things but i think you know i think we just sometimes just got to take a bit of a step back and actually just save the anger for things that are worth really getting really really angry about you know i think i think it, it can't be it can't be forgotten that a year ago we we you know we conceded six at dagenham and we did concede five um at uh, Derby the year before, and it didn't screw our seasons up. So you know, it was it was a shocking night on Tuesday. But I think you know, um, let's see what happens. Let's see what happens Saturday. So uh, you know, uh, what happens at Ashton Gate now becomes the focus of uh, of our season, and uh, we move on to Bristol City. Next up, a little bit of trivia, um, a little little nugget. Um, we were just talking about Lewis McLeod while we were just getting another beer in, um, saying he's been here best part of a year, yet to make his debut. Or no idea where he is. Um, but he's not the longest player to be at Brentford Football Club without making his debut, is he, Mark? Where does that record lie? Well, I think he's got a long way to go before he matches the record of Ted Gaskell, I believe, in the late 30s, 40s, who was around for 10 years before he made his debut. So hopefully Lewis won't take quite that long, but um, he's heading that way at the moment. So we're looking at 2024 before he gets that little, gets that record. Sounds about right. Well, what, what, what would he get? What, what kind of, what would, the player, what would the club present him with? Like a cuckoo clock or something like that. What would you get for being the longest player to be at a club without actually making your debut? What would you give him? Um, club captaincy. Yeah. <laughs> who knows? I reckon there's a few players who played on Tuesday you might have to wait 10 years before you get another game, but that's a, that's a separate conversation. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, give, give them a pitchfork and help dig out the pitch. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Some buckets and some yeah. yeah. Well, of course, we've got these four players now we've had a lot of money for who haven't got a, half a game between Hogan, McLeod, McCracken, and. Yeah, ends essentially after you know last night, which looked like a bad injury. Details so to follow. Probably so. five five million pounds worth of players for forty five minutes worth of football. Yeah. That's that's the, that shows you the kind of stakes we're we're talking about. Yeah. Imagine when they all come back. So. We move on to Ashton Gate, as we just mentioned. Um, before you hear our opinions about uh, Bristol City on Saturday, um, Billy Grant, who you remember, Billy? Yeah, he's, uh, he used to be on the podcast some some while ago. Um, he reckons he's in the States. Um, last, well, I've got, I'm, I've got him tracked. Last I saw, he was going through northern Turkey, heading into Syria. Um, but he's got a 3G connection, um, and he caught up with Paul Binning from the Exiled Robin. Cheers, Paul. So, big game approaching at the weekend, and Bristol City are back. We miss them, boys. We do actually enjoy going down to Bristol, down to Ashton Gate, and playing them, but they're back now. And to find out what's going down in Bristol, I'm speaking to Paul Bidding, our boy there. How you doing, mate? Very good, thank you. And you? I'm all right, actually. I'm not too bad at all, you know. Good. I'm a bit of sand struck. There's all sorts of sand things going on in our pitch, but we won't talk about that at the moment now. You boys... Last time we met, if I remember rightly, you were having a pretty woeful time. 
Um, Steve Cottrell, he looked like he was on his last legs. I remember when he went down to your place. I think he was like the last game he thought he was going to get sacked after that. And the fans were giving him a hard time. You were struggling on the pitch. And he looked like he was on his, on his way out. But fair play to him. The club, they turned around. They stuck with him. They turned it around. Turned things around. And uh, you guys won promotion last season, didn't you? We sure did, yeah. Absolutely incredible season. You know, it was uh, very much. I was on a couple, few season previews, and I said in all of them, it's just one of those absolute seasons of a lifetime. You know, in 99 points, three-month unbeaten run to start the season, a trophy at Wembley in the middle as well, because we did the JPT and League One double, which uh, I think only Birmingham have ever done before. And, yeah, just uh, yeah, quite a remarkable season. And, uh, yeah, fantastic to have a season like that after years of struggles and ups and downs and mainly downs. Uh, yeah, really, really good to have. I've got to ask the question, though. I mean, Cottrell, he looked, he looked struggling. He was on his way out. And how did he manage to turn things round? I mean, you had players, you had papers like Jet and all that lot who fans were saying, mm, he's not really pulling his weight. But you, you must have done something, waved some sort of magic wand. Well, I mean, he, to be fair, he came in. I mean, he, he, when he came in, we were second from bottom. Um, and he spent... First couple of months, it was a you know bit of a struggle. But to be fair to him, from sort of, I think he came in in November. I think from the sort of January, we pretty much picked up. And from the, yeah, the end of this, this was the season before last, from the end of that season, we went on about an eight-match unbeaten run. Which at the time we thought, well, oh, that's good. It's got us clear of relegation. But yeah, it was a bit of a portent of things to come for the following season. Actually, um, but yeah, I think I remember going to your place. I think it was a an evening match, and we I think we scored the opening goal actually. But, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, Carly Osborne. Osborne from the right back position. Yeah, and he got injured doing it. I think pulled his hamstring. Right. Um, but yeah, and yeah, your I think your midfield that year was absolute class and just far better than ours and took us apart a bit and we were a bit of a shambles defensively that year. And yeah, it just really is remarkable how you turned around. And what what he really did. I mean, he during that period was very clearly assessing how we wanted us to play, what formation, what sort of players he wanted, and what we did exceptionally well last summer in. in I'm sure we might come on to this, a big contrast to this summer, is he, he wanted seven players. He went out and got those seven players, and he got them by mid-July, pretty much, give apart from one. And those seven players between them, pretty much all of them played 40-plus games last year. I and mean, that's a, a quite remarkable stat when you look at it in that sense. But, you know, normally there's one or two who don't come off or, you know, one or two who don't quite fit in. But they all came in and played a huge part and, you know, part of the, part of the 11 we've got now. This season, I've seen the fans, they're sort of moaning slightly that you don't think that you've grown the squad enough to actually play in this division. You were expecting a few more signings, weren't you? Yeah, I think what we've done, we've, I mean, really critically, we've kept that 11 together. And, you know, you want to do that when you go up. You don't want you know, your best one or two players to be prized away. So that was great. What we have done is we've got rid of six of the more experienced squad players, the likes of Jet, the likes of Greg Cunningham to Preston. Um, Wade Elliott's retired, who was a, you know, a big part of our recovery the year, the year or two before. And what we haven't done is replace them at all. So, you know, we went into our last friendly with a bench of only six players because we couldn't find a seven from three of them were youngsters who'd never played a first team match. And that's, you know, that's woefully short for the championship. Um, so the first 11, absolutely fine. I think we know we're good enough. Um, what we were also incredibly lucky with last year was injuries and suspension. So apart from one or two, two or three month injuries here or there, I think we had eight players who played 40 matches plus. You know, that shows how consistent we were. And we went on long runs of picking the same team every single week without, you know, a single change. And that's just not going to happen again, in, in all honesty. And, you know, we've already had an injury to one of those players this year after one game. So we know we need probably still another three or four players to, to join. And we've, we've made some inroads the last week or so, a couple of loan, well, loan signing and a 
another youngster join. But um, I think there's still at least three or four gaps in the squad if you look at it. And it's not as if you're short of cash because you know, you know, you got you've got a benefactor there that could throw money in, you know, if necessary. Um, and and the wages as well that you attracted players for when you won that division. You know, you're attracting players who are championship players down a division to actually play for you. And now, yeah, but, even this season, I mean, Dwight Gale. You're putting a bid for six million, apparently, for Dwight Gale, which we've all gone, oh, blimey, where do they get that from? Um, seems to have stalled at the moment now because he seems to be hedging his bets a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, on the wages, we had one or two last year. I mean, Wade Elliott and Aaron Wilbraham stand out. But I think part of the reason we were able to maybe pay wages to those two was the rest of the squad. Most of the signings were young League One players. So even the likes of Luke Freeman and Corey Smith, who were absolute stars for us last year, and Joe Bryan, who was a homegrown, I can't imagine they were on huge amounts of money because, say, they were they were at Stevenage and Oldham before us. So it, you know, it was respect to them. You know, they weren't going to be paying big wages, and we didn't have to offer them maybe a huge increase to come and join us. So I think that that and we only had a core first team squad of about 18, 19 players. So we're not shelling out, you know, silly wages for thirty odd players like some clubs are. They are. But yeah, yeah. Gale uh, this week was. With, absolutely out bolt the blue for us as well and there's a huge amount of excitement for a few hours on uh, on twitter yesterday afternoon as you say unfortunately i'm not entirely unsurprising he's probably holding out for a premier league club at least or if not you know a qpr or middlesbrough maybe or a derby but uh who knows who knows if it goes a few days and no one else comes in he might feel the pressure to make sure he's got somewhere to play this year yeah well, i mean also flipping it i mean on our side obviously we've had a quite a few problems inverted commas the last few last week or so where we've had a few brentford players leave we've had quite a few players have come in but then we've had brentford players leave like Stuart dallas who's gone to Leeds. Yeah. we've had douglas who has gone to ipswich we've got odubaju who hull have poached him from us actually which was which irked us a little bit then we've had hull who've been sniffing around andre gray put in three or four bids didn't quite match it. There's all sorts of malarkey going on in the background there with the lamb and stuff like that because he does what he likes to do. But it seems like the whole situation has now died down and they've actually put in a lesser bid than they did before, which is very strange. But also the rumours now come out that Bristol City are actually sniffing around Andre Gray. I don't know if you've heard that one. Yeah, well, we um, a couple of weeks ago, before we'd really signed anyone, Steve Cottrell came out of a post-match interview and talked about we just signed a young lad from France for two million quid who was top scorer in their second tier last year. And then he was sort of bemoaning the fact that he'd been quoted six six million pounds for an English or a British striker. And the rumours at the time were, sorry, yeah, a striker in the league, rumours at the time actually there was that may, may well be Andre Gray. And, you know, I think it looked like Hull were well set for him, so that died down pretty quickly. But I think if that deal is, uh, you know, is in some doubt, then I don't doubt being there. He might be sniffing around again. And they obviously see a a big striker as a key area. And I, th- I can see why we've got four strikers. I'm not personally convinced any of them necessarily are absolutely proven to score a lot of goals at his level. Uh, Aaron Wilbraham's good, strong, experienced guy, but I'm not sure he can repeat a 20 goal a season uh, in the championship. And the others have all got a lot to prove. So having someone who pretty much guarantees that would, uh, would be a huge help. Well, if you can afford six million for uh, for Gale, good for Gale, then I'm sure you can afford seven million for Andre Gray. Not that we want him to go to you. That's the problem now. We've we sort of shown our hand a little bit of this bid, and I guess that's what happened in the championship. Is you you suddenly become big, uh, you know, big news, and uh, you know we probably wouldn't really wanted the fact that we've made this bid for Gale coming out in the public, but it has, and you know everyone knows we've got a few million to spend, and I'm sure the prices might be put up when we can start inquiring after players. Yeah, indeed. So I mean, season started on Saturday. Season starts, everyone gets really happy and excited. 
to be fair, both of us have had a bit of a mare start to the season. Yeah. I mean, you went away to Sheffield Wednesday. You lost at Sheffield Wednesday. Apparently, I mean, admittedly, they spent a lot of money as well. But again, not a great start to your season. And for us, Brentford, we were 2-0 down with like about seconds to go. Managed to pull it out of the bag and drew two all. Um, and then also in the cup, we haven't had a great cup run. You went to Luton, lost at Luton. We had Oxford yeah. come to us and we got battered by Oxford. Not, not a great start, is it? No, I think, you know, I think for us, I, I must admit, I wasn't entirely surprised. I think, you know, you go one or two ways when you come up with the level. You either ride that crest of a wave and, you know, keep it going for a few games and think everything's going to be easy at this level, or you, I think you come up against someone who just has that little bit extra now, and that extra professionalism, a bit extra pace maybe, and, you know, and you know does have a, have a good day against you. And I think that's what happened against Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday. They had you know, a big crowd there again first day of the season, looking to impress a new manager. And I think we were maybe caught a little bit, um, maybe a little bit rabbits in the headlights. And certainly defensively, we looked a shape, more shaky than we did at any point last year, you know, in any game. And, uh, you know, didn't really threaten going forward. So we've got a bit of work to do. So I think you know, that first 11 hopefully will be the core of a squad. But I think two or three quality additions, especially a couple of guys who have maybe played at this level would be, uh, would be more than welcome. As for Luton, we've... I can't remember exact numbers. We've lost to League Two sides something like 12 of the last 16 seasons in that competition, so I'm not entirely surprised. And uh, even though we had a first team out and they made eight changes, quite embarrassing. Um, but I'm not entirely surprised the way we generally perform in that competition. Yeah. On Saturday, big game on Saturday. Like I said, we love coming down to Bristol. Ashton, also Ashton Gate area. I mean, I went there a couple of seasons ago, Tuesday night game it was. And around the Ashton Gate area, it's, it's scrubbed up a little bit. It's actually sort of quite cool and there's quite a few cool bars around there and everything like that, isn't there? The def- yeah, it's, especially if you get off at, um, get off at Parson Street, which, you know, you can come on to from the main station and you can walk through Bevins. The Bevins is very, uh, yeah, very up-and-coming, very trendy area. Lots of development going on there. Lots of uh, juice bars and coffee bars to complement the existing uh, high street shops. But, yeah, it's a, it's a big area. I think any fans coming will see a huge transformation in the ground, which you may well have you know seen on the television. But we're pretty much knocking down three stands and rebuilding... Uh, hence for reduced capacity this year so what the Williams Dam which has been around for about 50-60 years has been knocked down over summer and there's a big gap there um, you'll be in the Atio Stand which is the old sort of home behind the goal for the home fans and you'll be sort of put in a corner there and we've got a brand new 6,500 seat South Stand on the, the other side of the goal which will be full and uh, I must admit I'm very much looking forward to uh, seeing it in, in full voice on the, you know, the next couple of games. Yeah, well, I see. And obviously everyone's excited because the match is sold out on Saturday. Um, yeah. What, what, what can we expect from the game on Saturday from Bristol? And, and what, are you, what are you thinking? Well, I think for us, I think, you know, having made the start we've had, I can imagine Cottrell's going to be asking the team to go out there and, you know, remember what we did last year and, and play at that level of intensity, which was quite astonishing for most of last year. Um I think if we can get them going and get them playing like that, you're in for a tough day. If, for whatever reason, this sort of hangover and this little feeling of trepidation creeps in, then you know it might be might be a lot bit more simpler than you think. But I think it is one of those. You may say every match, but I think that first goal really crucial. I think if we can get our nose in front and remember what it feels like to be in the lead and remember that winning feeling we experienced so much last year, we could be quite a force at home. But uh, you know having made the start we've had. I mean, if you guys go in front, especially early, then, you know, that could be a really tough, long afternoon for us. But it should be a good game of football. We we try and play good football in the main. Um, we've got some very good creative midfield players, a lot of pace on the flanks. Um, we play 3-5-2, so 
you know, two wide men pretty much hugging the touchline and bombing down past the fullbacks and getting crosses in. So should be a good game. So who should we be looking out for? I mean, you've, you've, this exciting football you're talking about sounds like we've got quite a few players we should be looking out for. Yeah, I mean, Joe Joe Bryan, unfortunately, probably will be injured. I think he's the one everyone's really looking forward to seeing how he develops. He's 21, 22, I think. He's a Bristol boy. He's a left wing back who's got a lot of pace, great touch, and he's got a fantastic cross and, uh, and you know, he's a really good all-round footballer. But... The, I guess the main creative player for us last year was Luke Freeman, signed from Stevenage, an ex-Arsenal youngster. Um, he just sort of plays in that hole behind the strikers usually and, you know, causes problems there. And for, in terms of a goal threat, the man you probably have to watch out for is actually our centre-half, Aidan Flint, who clocked him, I think it was 18 goals in the end last season, which was quite quite amazing. Um, we know him we well. We know and him I keep well. mentioning this, but yeah, he scored, actually scored a hat-trick of volleys on the last day, including a Rabona, so it's well worth looking up on YouTube if you uh, fancy seeing that. It's quite amazing for a six-foot-six centre-half to achieve what he did. Right. Looking out, well, we'll be looking out for him. So, listen, finally, Paul, score prediction for Saturday. Confident? Oh, I don't like doing these. Um... I can see it potentially being a bit of a cagey game, just bearing in mind the starts we've made. So I'll go for a 1 1 draw. And I'm strictly with you there again. Just like last week, I was on a 2 all, a 1 all draw, I'll be very happy with. For us as well, it depends on whether or not Andre Gray plays or not, because again, he was in the right frame of mind to play um, on Saturday's game. So we actually pulled him off the bench. So we'll see how he goes anyway. But listen, Paul, fantastic to chat to you, mate. And uh, it's great that City are back in the league, and we look forward to many a match against you over the next year or two, hopefully. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you very much, really. Appreciate that. That's right. And I'll catch up with you, and fingers crossed on Saturday that we beat you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hope not. Hope not. Wicked, no, <laughs> right, man. Take care. So, off to Ashton Gate. Bright and breezy Saturday morning. I'm uh, I'm going going uh, by, by train um, via Reading, so I'm looking forward to it. Um, we don't often go to Ashton Gate early on in the season when the sun's out. Um, it's going to be a bit of a new experience. Bristol City first home game of the season. It's going to be a toughie, Mr. Allard, is it not? Yeah, it's going to be tough. The day's not going to be tough because I love Bristol, and when it's sunny, it's a probably a great. It's a great place to spend a few hours before the um, before we get down to Ashton Gate. Um, I it's quite I, before last night's game. I was trying to consider how many changes we may have, and I was going to. I was going to nail on there was going to be a change in a centre-back. After last night's game, I'm not so convinced there will be a change at centre-back. If Gray's fit, might he come in for... Sorry, if Gray's fit. If Gray's available, may he come in for the half. Apart from that, I suppose it also depends if Hotter's fit. I know there's been a little bit of an injury talk around in this week. Um, I think we could be looking at pretty much the same start at 11, which I probably wouldn't have predicted after the game on Saturday. So we've got the director of psychology working on, on Mr Gray at the moment just to get him, get him match, match prepared. Uh, although he was very effective off the bench, of course. So Christ, he was. Yeah. Dutch. I think we could do with the director of psychology sitting on some of these podcasts, really, occasionally. Um, I think the good thing, we'll, we'll get a reaction on Saturday, won't we? Clearly, you know, the old cliche, but they, they will come back. Um, City... I've been all sorts of turmoil. If you read all the press about what's happened over the summer, if you saw the the wonderfully shambolic and dreadful highlights on um, Channel Five on Saturday, or if you saw Steve Cockle there virtually in tears as being interviewed, I've never seen such a down person after the first game of the season. Well, I think we people in tears. People were in tears watching the show though. As well, <laughs> they? Yeah, just, just... I think he was pre-recorded, but <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It, it, it's always a tough place to go, but we, we won there the last time we were there. I think it was just part of our turnaround on the the magic run that we had two years ago. Um, I think we'll 
you know, come on to predictions in a minute, but I, I think we'll see a reaction, I think we'll see a good performance, and I'm quietly confident. It's a bit of a lucky win last time we went down there. Um, what, what, what's your, what are you expecting this Saturday, mate? Well, I think I, I, I read quite an interesting article this morning in the Football League newspaper, admittedly three days after it was published, where <laughs> Dijkhausen was was saying that he's normally a very nice chap, but when he gets angry, it normally has an effect. And I suspect there'd been a bit of anger from him last night, so maybe that might have a, an impact for Saturday. Um, Apart from none of the it, players that none of the players that will play on Saturday and play no, last but, night, so. but, but maybe. Maybe his, his anger might have extended over into the sort of the, the It's actually but. a really interesting point because I guess like because he's new to the job, he's kind of he's in he's in the friend building phase of his of his. Maybe he just needs to get a bit, a bit nasty now. Yeah, possibly. Uh, I, he, he certainly was was suggesting that one or two of his players in the article that I'd read, one of his players, one or two of his players from from Holland, had also suggested that he can be um, quite. Uh, can have quite an impact when he, he, he loses his call. So we'll see what what, what happens there. I'd, I think it, it is a tough place to go, Bristol, but we've had some good days there, some really good days there in the past. We'll be playing on a, a proper football pitch, yeah. which mm-hmm. might be quite interesting to see um, how we do on that. And also, they've, they've played two games and they've lost them both. So a little bit of pressure on them as well. A, a tough day, but an interesting one. Nick, talking about getting nasty, you, you, you're, you're prone to being really nasty, aren't you? Yeah, well, I'm not going to be nasty about it because actually looking back at the, the game last week, we were all a bit down and we thought, you know, 2-2 wasn't a satisfactory result because we had to score those last two goals in the very final dying seconds of the game. But actually we had 64% possession, you know, against Ipswich Town. You know, Ipswich had 36% possession. Stats, it's all about stats this season, man. You know, we've got to be into this. Um, I, I, Bristol City, as as um, Mark said, I think playing on a pitch is going to make a difference for us. I would keep the same team in as we started with last, last Saturday. Um, the only one I would say is that... Uh, Substitute. I would start with Gray and then have Kirschbaumer come on if Gray if Gray isn't functioning. But let's let's start Gray because I think we ought to make the most of him while we so, still got him. If we have him. So if, if we start with Gray and Hoffman, how do you what what system do you play then? Thank you very much. You're now asking to be to be a tactical seven, expert. Seven four eight. <laughs> as, you know, as you as you know, tactics is not my strong point. Oh, I, I can advise on a lot of things, but not the tactics of the team. Great. But but I do think Gray should start if he is still with us. Gray should start because actually I think you know he he is our attacking threat at the so, moment. So if, he's, if he plays for us, let's have him. Yeah, I mean, anticipating then we play a four three three, and I don't think. There's any reason to think we wouldn't do that? Although actually, last night we played sort of a four-four-one-one. Um, if Gray plays, then maybe Hoffman doesn't play, or maybe Gray plays. Could we play him out wide? I think we need a new feature. We need the besotted. We need the besotted tactics truck. You know, Matt Allard's tactics truck. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm doing enough on the bloody match day at the moment. I'm not doing any, no, no trucking going on from me. I'm afraid. Um, I'm looking forward to going down there, but I, I go there with um, a 
you know, a lot of trepidation, if I'm being honest with you. But, you know, this, it's a, they're, a, they're a feisty bunch down there. They're a good bunch of fans. I've, I've worked for Bristol City. I've done, I've done a book for them. Um, fans, are, fans are absolute diamonds, most of them. Although I say now, I have been run back across the park yeah, after games. There was the game where we were 3 0 up or 4 0 up half time, and Perryman was here on Boxing Day, or I think it was Boxing Day. Um, and then Steve Perryman decided to warm down after the game in front of their home end, and we got run everywhere after the game. And it was it wasn't the best end to my Christmas. So I, I, I live to tell the tale, but I, I didn't think I would. Um, yeah, so so we're going there. It's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be raucous. You know, it's their it's their first home game of the season after getting promoted. They're gonna be properly up for it. So you know, if I'm if I'm honest, you know, if we can come away from that with a draw, I, I'd actually I take that right now. Um, so let's 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 do the old predictions. Let's go back the way we've come, Nick. Prediction, please, my friend. Uh, 2-1 Brentford. Mark? 1-1. Dutch? 1-0 Super Bees. Allard? Some crazy 3-0 thing, because neither team have settled yet. I'm going to go 2-2 again, um, but I'll, I'll take a 1-0 win, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, the other thing to check out um, is uh, Copa 90. Um, check out Copa 90 on YouTube. Um, it's, it's a little documentary they've uh, they've made called Moneyball to FC Mittiland. Um, the Pesotti crew are involved in the filming of that. Basically, it's about um, FC Mittiland and Brentford's um, uh, relationship with Matthew Benham and how the financial modelling, statistical modelling, is going to um, hopefully uh, lead to bright futures for both clubs. Um, some interesting interviews from both sets of fans. Um, Rasmus Ankerson's featured in there as two. Um, it's a thoroughly well-made piece of film. Um, think of it what you will, um, but... Uh, it makes me think that I'd rather be supporting this club now than any time in the last 40 years. So um, check us out, um, as always, on at Besotted, which is a Twitter feed. Um, our YouTube videos are all at Besotted1992 on YouTube and also available on the match reports that are available on besotted.co.uk. Thanks for all the Besotted crew for turning up again tonight. Um, we're at the uh, Belusha in Twickenham. Thanks for your hospitality. And we'll be with you in a post-podcast on Saturday and then this time next week uh, for the for the full-blown Monty. So come on, you bees, and um, let's hope that this weekend um, puts uh, what is quite a turbulent week uh, well and truly to bed. Come on, you bees. Come on, Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.